Every time I read this parable or hear it proclaimed by our wonderful deacon, I'll tell you, that last line just really pierces me to the heart. It's a really tragic line when you think about it, that you know, as we've been talking about the last several weeks, we're in the point of Luke's gospel that scholars call the death march to Jerusalem from chapter 9 to 19, that Jesus is on his way to his passion. He's on his way to suffer rejection and mistreatment and abandonment from his apostles and his full passion, the full stations of the cross, even dying on the cross. When you think about all of that from that context, and that it's him telling this story and putting on the lips of Abraham this line, they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone should rise from the dead. So sort of like our Lord is doing all of this. He's putting it all out there, but he knows darn well that some people are still not going to respond. Even though he's going to rise from the dead, they're still not going to be on board. The other interesting thing, too, about this story, it's different from all of the other parables that Jesus tells in all the Gospels. This is the only one that one of the characters gets a name. If you think about that, you know, we just had a couple weeks ago the lost chapter of the Gospel of Luke, right? The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. Nobody there got a name, right? It wasn't like Gladys lost a coin and, you know, and Jerry, the younger son, came back. No. Same thing with the Good Samaritan, right? You got the priest, the Levi, the guy who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, the Good Samaritan. They don't get names. The only person in all of Jesus' parables that gets a name is this poor man named Lazarus. And it cannot be a coincidence that that is also the name of one of three people that Jesus raises from the dead in the midst of his ministry. John chapter 11, you know, he goes and raises Lazarus from the dead. And it's an incredible thing in the reaction of people in that. Many start coming to Jesus at that point and also to come see Lazarus because they start believing in Jesus at this point, understandably, because he rose Lazarus from the dead, and they want to see this guy who was dead and is now alive. But the Pharisees plot not only to put Jesus to death, but Lazarus, because so many people were starting to believe in him. And when you think about that, just what must be going through the mind of our Lord as he's telling stories like this, knowing that he is going to rise from the dead, knowing everything he's got to do between now and then to make that happen, and still he knows that there's a lot of hard-heartedness. Now, I think it's interesting and probably an important exercise for us to sort of put ourselves in the place of the rich man here and to think about the fact that, you know what, we do similar things to what he does from torment, right? Oh, no, Father Abraham, look, you just do this, everything will work out. Everybody's going to convert. I mean, who of us hasn't done that, at least thought it or said it in prayer? God, if you would just make this happen, make the debt go away and everybody will be on board. You know, like that's all we got to do. Like it's so easy to tell God what he needs to do to get everybody to convert, right? But the fact of the matter is, it's not just the big things that make that happen. In fact, the big things don't always stick. I mean, think about his apostles, right? You got 12 apostles, 11 out of the 12, when the going got tough, ran away. Now, they had seen Jesus walk on water. They had seen him feed the 5,000. They'd literally seen him raise people from the dead. They still ran away. 
right? And now granted, I'm in no way saying like resurrection doesn't matter. We wouldn't be here if Jesus wasn't risen from the dead. St. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, if Jesus is not risen, our faith is in vain. All this is stupid if Jesus isn't risen from the dead. However, it's not just the big things in life that keep us going, right? It's not just, wow, I've been overpowered and I'm amazed, and so I keep showing up. I mean, think about this. I, I told this example at the last Mass. So I just went to the dentist, right? And inevitably, the hygienist, she's lovely, and she makes that comment, only floss the ones you want to keep, basically meaning, if you don't floss, you're going to lose your teeth. But I'm going to be honest with you. Normally, I confess back there. I'm going to confess here. I don't floss, right? I hate it. I don't know anybody who does like flossing. If you do, God bless you, but it's not my favorite thing. I should probably take that on for Lent, right? It's not something that I enjoy. And yet, she can say to me, you will lose your teeth. And I say, I'm still too lazy. At the end of the day, I want to go to bed. I don't want to floss my teeth, right? It's gross. I'm sorry. But... What I mean by that is, you can like, get hit in the face with something big, but unless you're like, devoted to it, you're not going to keep it up. Now, many of you know I'm about to head back to Fatima in a couple of weeks. And I don't know if you know the whole story of Fatima. I know we've talked about it a lot. If you're visiting this weekend, don't know a lot about it, I highly recommend learning about it. We'll throw something in the bulletin for a great book to read. But long story short, 105 years ago, 1917, our blessed mother over the period of six months appeared to the three shepherd children, Saints Jacinta, Francisco, and servant of God, Lucia, showing them all sorts of things, encouraging them to pray for the conversion of poor sinners, telling them to pray the rosary every day, all of these awesome things, right? And then on October the 13th, 1917, 105 years ago in like two weeks, Something amazing happened. Now, at this point, after six months of, this, of them going out there, these apparitions, they draw a lot of attention. 70,000 people show up in the field where Mary has been appearing. Some, totally on board. They believe the kiddos. They want to see what's going on. Some, don't believe them at all. They're there to mock them. They're atheists. They, they just, you know, another, oh, you stupid religious people. We want to prove that you're wrong. And it's raining all day. Everybody's soaked. They're not in a good mood. Well, then Mary appears, and he had something called the miracle of the sun. Now, you can go back and read Portuguese newspapers of the time. 70,000 people saw this happen. Atheist reporters talk about this miracle of the sun. All of a sudden, the sun in the sky starts dancing around and then starts plummeting towards the earth. People think it's the end of time. We're all going to die. And then all of a sudden, it goes back to where it's supposed to be. And everybody's dry, even though it's been raining all day. Now, it's pretty incredible. I mean, I, I would love, I think, to see something like that, right? Like, it would be amazing. But I will be honest with you, never seen it. This will be my fourth trip to Fatima. Not once has the sun done anything remarkable. Now, to be fair, the sun does something remarkable every day. Just what it does is incredible, but that's the subject for another homily. But you think about the miracle of the sun, right? 70,000 people see the sun do this incredible thing. However, you didn't have like the period of the 70,000 new saints from Portugal who all, now all believe in the faith. No, it didn't cause everybody to jump on board. Yeah, they were impressed. Okay, something clearly is going on here, but they didn't become saints. Those little guys, though, what do they do? They're praying all the time. They're praying the rosary every day. They're making sacrifices for poor sinners. 
Little Jacinta, Jacinta and Francisco died, Francisco in 1919, Jacinta in 1920, and Mary had said to Sister Lucia, you need to stick around a little while longer, learn to read, learn to write, to spread the message of making reparation for poor sinners, of praying, of staying close to my immaculate heart. And when Mary says you have to stick around a little while longer, so Jacinta died in 1920, Sister Lucia died in 2005. So a little while for Mary, 85 years, just so you're aware. Um, So, you know, God's time is not our time. But you think about the way that God works. Yes, there are some incredible things. He did rise from the dead. The sun did dance in the sky. But it's not those great big things that keep us showing up. For those of you who are married, you have your big, beautiful wedding day, and it's incredible. But it's not like you just keep looking back to that day and that will sustain us for the rest of our lives. There has to be more. There has to be love and devotion. It's not just, oh, Father Abraham, do this and everybody's going to jump on board. No. What we're called to is loving devotion. And something else that's come out of Fatima, and part of why I keep going back, is a revelation that came a little while longer. So like I said, Sister Lucia sticks around longer than the other two. She becomes a Dorothean sister. She's in the convent in a place called Tui, Spain. And on December the 10th, 1925, our Lord and our Blessed Mother appeared to her. And I'm going to read this to you from her diary. The most holy virgin appeared to her, and by her side, elevated on a luminous cloud, was the Christ child. The most holy virgin rested her hand on Sister Lucia's shoulder, and as she did so, she showed her a heart encircled by thorns, which she was holding in her other hand. Which, by the way, you want to see what that looks like? It's our beautiful statue right over here. It's still encircled with thorns. At the same time, the Christ child said, Have compassion on the heart of your most holy mother, covered with thorns, with which ungrateful men pierce it at every moment. And there is no one to make an act of reparation to remove them. Then the most holy virgin said, Look, my daughter, at my heart, surrounded with thorns, with which ungrateful men pierce me at every moment by their blasphemies and ingratitude. You at least try to console me, and then say that I promise to assist at the hour of death with the graces necessary for salvation all those who, on the first Saturday of five consecutive months, shall confess their sins, receive Holy Communion, recite five decades of the Rosary, and keep me company for 15 minutes while meditating on the 15 mysteries of the Rosary with the intention of making reparation to me. Now, I love that. And I really appreciate that our Lord and our Blessed Mother gave us this first Saturday devotion, right? She says five consecutive first Saturdays. Here at Sacred Heart, we do all four of those things every first Saturday. Because like, why stop at five? Let's just keep going. Because as we go about day-to-day life, right, we don't tend in the direction of becoming more concerned about other people, of getting better. We tend to get worse. As we get tired, we get more selfish. We, you know, it's like you just think about it. You've had a long day, you're tired, you snap at your loved ones because that's the natural way we move. We tend to get more self protective. The rich guy, he's probably saying to himself, Oh, I'm a good guy. Well, wait a second, but he's sliding down into torment, right? Why? Because he's selfish. 
And we all fall into that. We're fallen. We're selfish. What we need is not just a one-time, boom, wake up everybody, or you could go to hell. The trouble is, if you just continue on in selfishness, so just being concerned with this sumptuous living, you're already in hell, right? That's not a good way to live a life, and it just moves into torment. But if we take the time every first Saturday to step aside, to pray, to receive our Lord in Holy Communion, to pray the rosary and meditate on the mysteries of the life of Christ and the mystery of our own life and how the two come together, keeping Mary company for 15 minutes, meditating on those, on those mysteries, and going to confession at least once a month, which, by the way, you don't have to go to confession on the day of the first Saturday. Jesus understands and said this to Sister Lucia later. Just remember, he knows I'm one priest. There's like a million of you. We can't do it all in one day. But if it's like 20 days on either side, it's fine. Basically, it has to work out to be one confession per first Saturday. Why do we need that? Because it calls us out of our selfishness. It calls us away from being like this rich man. Because... The more we can love our Lord with the help of our Blessed Mother and loving her who he loves, guess what? That's when we start to care about the person on our doorstep. Yesterday before the 4.30 Mass, the deacon said, what are you going to preach on? And I said, the first Saturday devotions. And he said, what does that have to do with Lazarus? Good question, deacon. It really is. Because I know, it's like you hear this parable, and it's like, of course, we're just going to hear once again. Okay, you see the guy on the side of the road? Give him five bucks. Let's keep moving on. No! Basically, it's like you think about the greatest of commandments. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus warned us, right, in Matthew 25, whatever you did for the least of my brothers, you did it for me. Whatever you didn't do for the least of my brothers, you didn't do it for me. If we don't love him first, how are we supposed to love Lazarus? How are we supposed to get out of ourselves and not just keep stepping over the person right in front of us who's hurting? What we got to have is not just big things that scare us about the possibility of torment, right? That'll last for a second. But what we need is deep and lasting love. And that is what is on offer. Mary has come down from heaven to tell little guys about this. And I'm telling you, when I go there, it's not as though it's like, look at the sun again. It's they did this in this place. I've tried to turn this place into little Fatima because... It's so beautiful what happened there, but the glory is, it can happen here too. And that's why we do what we do on First Saturdays, because we all need to be called out of our selfishness. And not just with the miracle of the sun, not just remembering that people can be raised from the dead, that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, but even more fundamental at the heart of it all, that love lasts for eternity, and we can participate in that love right here and now. Yes. There is the danger of sliding into torment, of moving away from salvation. But Mary promised, if we keep up this devotion, we do it five consecutive Saturdays, and then just keep going. Why? Because you're in love. And when you're in love with him, then it's possible to be in love with everybody else, to show that Christ-like self-sacrificing love. He gives us what we need, especially and the help of his blessed mother, especially with the help of saints like Jacinta and Francisco, to love him and then to avoid the torments of selfishness, but rather to pick Lazarus up and to share in the joy that's on offer now and for all eternity. Praise be Jesus Christ.